If you've been around here for very long, you uh, probably have noticed that we talk here a lot about Jesus. Because we believe that Jesus is the most compelling person to have ever lived. There has no one and there will never be anyone like him. And we believe that following the teachings of Jesus will not just make your life better, but will make you better at life. In the last couple of weeks, we've talked about why we need to stir up that longing and desire and passion for more of Christ. Because Jesus is our greatest and most precious resource. And maybe you're here today and uh, you're not yet really sure about Jesus. Well, we're so glad to have you. And I, I promise if you will look into him and give him the chance, you will see what we see. Last week, we talked about sanctification and how that's this big word that means this gradual desire to become more and more like Christ. Like we've already mentioned last week, we talked about how progress is a process. None of us have made it. None of us have arrived. And we also talked about how you need to be worried if you don't have that desire to want to be more like Christ and more surrendered to Christ. And we had this quote that said, uh, an indifference to Jesus reveals that you do not know him. And today we're going to look at the uh, not just the why, like we did last week, we're going to move on to the how. How do we uh, chase Jesus? How do we per pursue Christ? How do we make progress? See, many of us have been in church for a long time, and we know who Jesus is, and we know what he's done for us, but we haven't necessarily translated into how we walk in our everyday life. We have the head knowledge, but we don't have the heart knowledge. We hear truth. But we haven't necessarily asked ourselves how we're going to apply that truth or when we're going to apply that truth. We don't have a plan or a strategy to obey the truth that Christ reveals to us. So that's what we're going to talk about today. What does it look like to pursue Christ in our everyday life? Now, Paul was this, uh, this man that used to persecute the early church 2,000 years ago. And he had an encounter with Christ, and in an instant, he became a believer and he, a follower of Jesus Christ. And in his letter that he wrote to this church in Philippi, he talks about how he had not yet arrived spiritually. And that's where we'll be today in Philippians 3.13. Paul says this to that church in Philippi. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. Another version says, I count not myself to have apprehended. But he says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. These verses uh, we mentioned last week are so packed full of truth that today we're going to spend a little bit more time in them and also compare them to other verses that support and fill out these ideas. Now, Paul loves to paint uh, a picture of being a follower of Christ as a race. In fact, Paul loves sports in general. He talks about uh, different, uh, he talks about boxing the air, shadow boxing. He talks about running a race. He talks about uh, all these uh, different analogies, wrestling. He's a real manly man, kind of like myself. But here he's going to talk about how life is like a race. 
And we have a few members in our congregation that are really big runners. They love to run marathons and half marathons, and they love to uh, just push themselves. And the endurance that they have is amazing. But Paul says life is like a race. You have to have endurance. There's a start, and there's a middle, and there's a finish line. And there's a certain amount of struggling and striving and pushing for the prize, which is Christ Jesus, leaving every weight behind us. And it reminds us we haven't made it yet. We haven't arrived, but we're pressing forward. We are still running. We haven't quit. And hopefully over these last few weeks in this book of Philippians, we've, as we've talked about pursuing Jesus, hopefully you've began to rekindle that desire in you to press toward Worshiping God in a way that's deeper than it ever has been before. And hopefully you've been pressing toward a prayer life that is more fervent and more consistent than it ever has been before. Hopefully you've began to rekindle that desire in yourself to learn more about the scripture and to memorize scripture and to fall in love with the scripture. And that's what we need to ask ourselves. Can we say that we are pressing towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. Are we running this race to win? Now, before you can really set goals, you have to understand where you're at first. You have to know where you are. And the first step of learning how to chase Christ more and more is to stop lying to yourself. You gotta really know where you're at. You gotta be introspective. So don't lie to yourself about yourself. That's something we do so often. The biggest liar in our lives is the person that looks back at us in the mirror. We like to lie about we're not that bad or we've got this under control or we've got this figured out. But we have to know where we're weak before we can make progress. You've got to know the areas in your life that are holding you back from that relationship with God. You've got to know what's really going on in your heart and in your mind. Like Paul, we haven't made it yet. We haven't arrived. I've got many weaknesses in my life, too many to count, in fact. But one that I really struggle with, don't fire me after I say this, okay? I've got weaknesses and I've got problems. One that I struggle with is uninterrupted prayer time. That's something that I struggle with. I can sit and write a sermon for hours studying and looking stuff up and listening to different uh, speakers speak on the subject, looking up quotes. Those type of things are easy for me. But it's hard for me to be still and to pause and to spend time just talking to God. Oftentimes what it ends up for me is I'll spend, you know, three, four, five minutes and then all of a sudden I'm thinking about grocery lists or what I need to do after. And, and, and my mind is so quick to get bored, to get apathetic in this prayer time. So for me, this is an area I have to be honest with myself about. And create a plan and a strategy on how to improve in this area. Romans 15.30 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. You'll see this often in uh, the Bible when it talks about prayer. It doesn't always say it's easy. Here it says you've got to strive together in prayer. Not everything that is necessary comes easy. So don't lie to yourself. We've got to know where we're at, know where we're strong, and know where we're weak before we can make a plan and make a strategy on how to get better and to, get, and to make progress. 
We also need to make sure that we're measuring ourselves by Christ and not other Christians. Because we haven't arrived. Even in our greatest strengths, we fall short of Christ and we can always get better. We always need the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, when we have struggles, what we, I mean, excuse me, when we have strengths, what we do is we tend to rely on those strengths instead of rely on Christ. Another thing that can help stir up our passion for Christ inside of us is to get around people who are more spiritual than we are. If you're the most spiritual person you know, then you're going to struggle to reach your potential for Christ. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 27, 17, that iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another man. If you don't have these relationships in your life that make you push further towards Christ, that's an issue, that's a problem. You're never going to reach your potential. Mayonnaise doesn't sharpen iron. Okay? Iron sharpens iron. Soft and wishy-washy things don't sharpen you as a Christian. And if you have a bunch of more wishy-washy, shallow friends, you're probably going to have a hard time keeping that desire to pursue Christ. That's, that's going to be something that you never reach your potential because you don't have the friends that you need to push you and to make you better. They're going to make you, those friends that aren't there yet, are going to make you feel satisfied with your walk for Christ because at least you have it more together than they do, right? How many of you have that friend? He's just a screw up and you're like, man, I'm doing better than him. I feel pretty good about what's going on. I have a lot of friends that push me to pursue Christ and they call me out when I'm acting silly or I'm doing something that's not right. Tori is somebody that does that for me constantly. If I know that I'm not sure about how I'm thinking, I can go to her and say, hey, am I thinking right about this? And that's a valuable thing. If you don't have those people in your life, you need to find them. I have a group text message with four guys that I'm always bouncing questions uh, about the Bible off of. And what do you think about this passage? What do, you, what do you think this means? If you're weak in prayer, go find someone who is strong in that area and hang around them. Ask them how they stir up that passion in Christ and how they get better spiritually because iron sharpens iron. Find people who push you spiritually. Why? Because we haven't arrived. We haven't made it. And it's important for us to be honest with ourselves about our failures and our weaknesses. And it's important for us to find people that can fill in those blanks in our lives. So let's look at that again. Philippians 3.13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before... I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Notice the things Paul says here. He says, I have one focus. I press on. I'm going to pursue Christ. And the first thing that he says, is, he says, I'm going to forget those things that are behind me. I'm going to forget whatever's behind me. Well, what type of things should we forget? Should we forget our victories in the past? It's okay to remember and thank God for our victories, but if we live in them, we're going to find ourselves becoming smug and arrogant. Matt Chandler says this. He says, the victories of yesterday were given by the grace of yesterday. 
Victory today is given by the grace of today. And the victory for tomorrow is given by the grace of tomorrow. We, can, we can't use grace from yesterday for today's victory. Yes, look back and be thankful for those things, but you can't live in them. Well, what about failures? Should we forget our failures in the past? Well, it's good for us to learn about our, uh, from our failures. But once again, if we live in them, we'll find ourselves ridden with guilt and shame. See, what we don't realize is we can't, when we can't leave our past failures in the past, it becomes this reverse form of pride, right? Guilt and self-pity are still self-centered. And we're essentially saying, I'm the one guy who the cross of Christ was not big enough for. Sure, sure, I understand that Christ can forgive Paul and the other disciples, but I have this one thing in my past that the cross just isn't big enough for. But what you don't understand we can think, my failure's too big for Jesus. But really, that's just pride speaking. Over in 1 Timothy 1.12, Paul in his letter to Timothy says this. He says, I thank him who is giving me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says, I thank Jesus. Why? Because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. God's decided to use me. And then he says, though formerly, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in my unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he says this. He says, of whom I am foremost. Another version says, of whom I am chief. I am the chief of sinners, Paul says. But then he says, but I received mercy, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, as the chief, as the biggest sinner of all, Jesus Christ might display his perfect Patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. This is an awesome passage. Paul says, look, I believe I'm the biggest sinner of all time. I believe I am the chief of sinner. Why? Because I blasphemed God. I persecuted Christians. I opposed Jesus Christ. But then he says, I obtained mercy. I obtained mercy. Christ has counted me faithful. My sin was huge, but the cross was bigger. And my life now is a pattern and proof that Christ can forgive any amount of sin. Jesus can forgive any sinner. He says, so I'm going to forget those things that are behind. I'm going to leave my victories and my failures in the past. Think about this with me for a minute. It's kind of a scary thing to think about, but I think it's a good thing to think about. Have you ever imagined what you would leave behind in your house if it was on fire? Have you ever imagined how much you'd be okay with leaving behind? Those things that we think are like really important, like if someone broke them, we would be upset. For many of us, it's like a laptop or a TV or something like that. But in the case of a fire, is that what you're going to grab? You know, your 75-inch TV as you run out the door? 
What would you be okay with leaving behind? Oh, there's a fire. I have to run. Let me go grab my toothbrush, right? Oh, man, there's a box of spare light bulbs under the counter. If I don't grab them, I'm going to be in trouble. No, those aren't the things that you're going to care about, right? And I think we would be surprised what we would leave behind if we ran towards Christ. I think the things that we might think are the most important, all of a sudden, if we would panic and say, hey, I need, I need, I need to be near Jesus, that we would be surprised what we would be okay with leaving behind. Some of the people that have made the biggest sacrifices for Christ would say this, it wasn't a sacrifice. There was a missionary once, I can't remember who it was off the top of my head, I think it was David Livingston or one of those big all-time missionaries. And people would talk about how he had gone far away to another country and left his family behind and had done these big things for Christ. And what he said was, it was no sacrifice. It wasn't a sacrifice. What do you mean? I got to chase Christ. I got to be near to Christ. I got to do something for the God of the universe. I wasn't concerned about, oh, I couldn't, you know, run to Chick-fil-A every Sunday. Or not Sunday. Darn it. (laughs) The one day. I could have said any other day. But he wasn't, he wasn't minding the fact that maybe he wasn't going to eat, to eat his favorite food or watch his favorite show. He said, those aren't sacrifices. The sacrifice was when Christ made the sacrifice. And everything else in my life is bonus, so I'm just going to chase Christ. And Paul says, I'm going to leave this stuff behind. And I'm going to reach towards the future because I want more of Christ. He says this in a few more passages. And again, he paints this picture of a race. In 1 Timothy 4, 7, he tells us to have nothing to do with irreverent or silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Does that mean Christian, Christianity and, and being a follower of Jesus is going to come naturally for all of us? Well, does running come naturally for you? No. you got to train yourself. If I went out and tried to run a marathon, I would die, literally die after like mile two, maybe. And I would have walked the first two miles. (laughs) If I don't train myself for it, it's not going to work. And you might sit in this pew today and say, well, there's some people that just have it easy. It just comes naturally for them. No, false, negative. That's not what happened. They have trained themselves for godliness. And here it says, have nothing to do with irreverent or silly myths. He says to avoid silly superstitions, things that uh, do not come out of the Bible, like the end of the world scenarios on the Mayan calendar or stories about people that went to heaven and came back or traditions that we treat like doctrine. He says, forget all those silly things, but worry about godliness, things that are actually in the text of the Bible. Lay all the silliness behind and train yourself in doing what you know God wants you to do. And then he goes on, and this is my life verse. It says, while bodily training is of some value, other versions say uh, bodily exercise profiteth little. That's my life verse right there. (laughs) But it says godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance for to this end, We toil and strive. Why? Because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially 
to those that believe. He's saying here, Paul is saying that we will labor and we'll toil and we'll strive and we'll push. Why? Because we want to be like Christ. Why? Because yes, it secures our future, but it also helps us in the present. It doesn't just like exercise help us in this life, but it helps us in the next life as well. Another chapter where he compares life to a race as well is in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. It says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So, run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, a trophy. But we, an imperishable So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul says in this passage, who runs a race and doesn't try and win it? So win, run to win. He says, who starts a race being okay that they're gonna come in last place? Why would you even bother? Not to be judgmental, maybe a little bit, but if you ever asked yourself about that, about other Christians, like, why are they even saying they're a Christian? Why do they, like, what's the point? They're not running to win, right? They're not, they're not doing it to be the best that they can be. They're just kind of okay with, like, coming in last. It doesn't really make sense. Who becomes a Christian to become the coldest and deadest Christian ever? Don't do that. Run that you may obtain. Run to win. Now, we aren't racing other Christians. We're racing and running from who we were. We strive to be the best at other things that are temporary. We strive to be the best at sports and to be the best in our job and to be the best in finances. Why not strive to be more like Christ that will not just benefit you in this life, but will benefit you in the next life? And Paul says, look, I'm going to run towards Christ. I'm going to pursue Christ. Why? Because I want to win more and more and more of Christ. And if you don't, what's the point? Run to win. But some of us are so aimless. We think we kind of sort of want to be more like Christ, maybe, but we have no direction. But no one stumbles into godliness. It does not happen on accident. So don't lie to yourself about your weaknesses. Get a plan. Be creative about attacking those weaknesses. Make some practical spiritual goals. You want to know more about the scripture? Well, what does the how look like? How are you going to do that? When are you going to do that? If you don't answer those questions, it's never going to happen. You want to be a better prayer warrior? Okay. How? When? That's why we do this thing at the end of the service called, some people call it an invitation, some people call it a a reflection time, a meditation time. That's our time to say, all right, that was good. God spoke to my heart about something. How am I going to do this? When am I going to do this, God? How am I going to put this into action? This thing is not like an entertainment thing where we just come and sit and maybe we feel a little better because we heard a message about God. No, we are supposed to be making progress, sanctification, getting closer. Are you less spiritual than you have been in the past? Are you 
as close to God as you've been in the past. If not, you're going in the wrong direction. And that's what we want to avoid. We want to make progress. So we strive and we toil and we press and we run that we may obtain those things that Christ has for us. Forgetting those things that are behind, victories and failures. Yeah, sure, I understand it. You pursued Christ last year and you failed. You messed up. Well, forget it. Leave it behind. Sure, you did great things for God one time on a missions trip. That's awesome. But forget it. Leave it behind. You can't live in that. Yeah, you taught Sunday school for 20 years. That doesn't help you right now. That's in the past. And the grace for yesterday doesn't help you today. What are you doing now for Christ? See, you know the difference in those victories that we rely on so many times? We look back and we say, man, that was awesome. God did something big. You know what happened? Well, once you were looking for him, for once you were pursuing him, and for once maybe those mayonnaise friends weren't around or maybe they were pursuing Christ too. We've got to understand every person in this room, including especially myself, we haven't arrived. We haven't made it. Don't lie to yourself about yourself. So what are those spiritual weaknesses that you have? You want to strengthen those areas? How? When? Because if you don't answer those questions, your questions you're not running to the win. If you say in six months I want to run a marathon and you don't come up with some plan to do that, I'm going to run this so much this week. They even have an app that says like couch to 5K. And you can plug that in and your weight and everything. And you can say, all right, this is how I'm going to get from sitting on a couch like a potato to running a race and being able to finish it without dying. This is how it's going to happen. I, I went on a, uh, right out of college, I went on a three-day hike through the presidential trail with my dad and my brothers, and it was uh, Mount Washington up there in New England, and for three days we hiked. There was no water, electricity, and uh, I was not in the shape that I had hoped I was. It was right off of, you know, three years of college of eating pizza late at night. Uh, I went in to college as like 130 pounds and came out like 200 pounds. At 5'7", that's bad. You don't want to be that. You don't want to do that. And I did terribly. And I look back at that time as like a failure on my part that I did not train better, that I did not do better. And some of us have those big problems in our lives that we can look back and say, I failed. I had this test and, and this temptation that came along and I messed up. And what happened is we didn't train ourselves in godliness. We didn't have a plan now to figure out how we're going to fight those things then. I used to tell teenagers this all the time. Don't wait till you're in the back seat of a car with your girlfriend to decide how you're going to get out of that situation. Don't wait till you're neck deep in temptation to figure out how you're going to face it. Now I have to come up with a strategy. Now I have to say, hey, I need someone to keep me accountable and ask those questions. Now is when it happens. So those things that you keep saying you're going to get better at, well, I'm going to tithe eventually. How? When? Well, I'm going to start talking to this person about Christ one day. How? When? When is it going to happen? Because if you aren't asking those questions, you are not running to win. See, passion without action is just emotion, and emotion fades. 
The only time passion is real is when we put it into action. Know ye not that those which run in race run all, but one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain. Why don't we run to win? You'd be surprised what you'd leave behind if you ran towards Christ. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. We gave you out. No one looking around. This is just between you and God. This is the how and the when. We gave you out a little three-by-five card when you came in. And, and right in front of you, hopefully, there's uh, these little pencils. We've got some awesome young people that fill those up. And as we think about this question, am I running to win? Am I making progress? Am I getting better? Yeah, you could sit and like soak in just guilt, but guilt are, is chains that will not help you. Yes, you have to be honest about where you're at. But you've got to say, all right, here's where I'm at, and here's how I'm going to get where I need to go. The Bible tells us the wise man falls seven times, but he gets back up. So we gave you that little three-by-five card so that you could write some things that you need to leave behind. Some things that you've been living in, whether it's failures, whether it's victories, whether it's relationships that have been broken, some things that are impeding your progress. They've been a weight on you in this race that we call life. They've been holding you back. Let me give you a little bit of time. And we, we find this, this last couple minutes where it's just you and God is really valuable. Yeah, it's super easy to let your mind water, uh, wander and think about what's for lunch or what you got to do later. It's super easy to do that. But we believe this time has value. The time when you're not listening to just Pastor Phil speaking, but the time that you're listening for God to speak. He's going to play softly. And I challenge you to write those things down. We're not going to give it to anybody else. You're going to put that in your Bible, in your purse, in your pocket. And I want you to put that later on somewhere where you can see it. These are the weaknesses that I have. And I need to develop a plan, me and God, together, on how to get where I am to where I need to be. Because if I don't decide now, it's not going to happen. I'm going to forget about it. I'm going to get over it. I'm going to think other things are more important. But the most important things in our lives are not the things that scream for attention. This is what's important. I'm going to give you a few minutes. Think about those things. What are the things I need to leave behind so I can run this race the way that God intended me to?